Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. My first thoughts was, what a senseless act. These were three individuals that were as innocent as children. I've never met anyone that's, that's killed three people, and I, I don't know what is the mindset to do such. It's senseless, it's horrific. I have no words for someone that would act in such a manner. Nestled at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in South Carolina is the city of Greer, a quiet little town that's the envy of outsiders. In 2003, Greer is home to 56-year-old Sylvia Holtzclaw, a teller at Blue Ridge Savings Bank, located on a dead-end road just off Interstate 85. It's a small bank, and Sylvia often finds herself working alone there. At 1.30 p.m. on Friday, May 16th, Dispatch at the Greer Police Department is notified that the bank's silent alarm has been tripped and a possible robbery is in progress. When police arrive 17 minutes later, they make a gruesome discovery. This is far from a typical bank robbery, one that will haunt the town for years to come. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Three Dead at Blue Ridge Bank. It's Thursday, May 15th, 2003, and 28-year-old David Holtzclaw is on his way from Tallahassee, Florida to visit his mom in Greer, South Carolina. They plan to celebrate Mother's Day a week late because David had to work the previous weekend. She was as close to me as as I could ever imagine. I lived seven hours away, and so she and I would talk a lot on the phone. I would say we would talk every other day, and then sometimes we would talk three or four times a day. She and I and my brother went through a lot together, and she gave up a lot for us so we could have things, even at her own expense to where she wouldn't have things so we would have them. And so she's made me the type of person that I am today, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of her qualities and characteristics. Sylvia is looking forward to spending the weekend with David and his older brother, Kevin. That Friday, Sylvia works her usual shift as a teller at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank, but has made arrangements to leave early. I said I would be coming in early Friday morning, and I would stay until Sunday afternoon and then drive back. 
she was going to get off at noon. So me and my brother were at home that morning just doing some things around the house. She called my brother and found out that she wasn't going to be able to leave, that she was going to have to stay because the person that was coming to relieve her had gotten sick and wasn't going to be able to come. She was extremely upset because she wasn't going to be able to spend the afternoon with Kevin and myself. Knowing that his mom didn't take a lunch with her to work that morning, David stops by the bank to bring her a sandwich. He arrives at 12.50. So I took it down there, went in. She was still very upset that she wasn't able to leave. She was by herself. I went in, spent 10 minutes or so with her. She walked me out to the door. I got in my car and I left. The last thing I remember my mom saying to me was, I'll see you when I get home. David then heads to a nearby mall to run some errands. An hour and a half later, his cell phone rings. A friend of mine called me and asked me where I was. I said, I'm at the mall. He said, well, stay there. I'm coming to get you. As a 28-year-old man, I'm like, why is somebody else coming to pick me up from the mall? And so I just continued to press him and press him and press him. And he's like, I don't want to tell you this over the phone. And I said, tell me what? And he said, I don't know how to tell you this. And I said, tell me what? Then he proceeded to tell me that there had been a bank robbery and that my mom was dead. And I can tell you, time stopped. I was uh, enjoying a Friday afternoon lunch at Fats Cafe here in, in Greer with two other co-workers when I received the phone call from our dispatcher advising of a bank robbery. Dale Arterburn is 27 years old and the on-call detective that day for the Greer Police Department. Back in 2003, we would see several different types of crime. We would have your typical crimes of burglary and robbery and auto theft and, of course, your sexual crimes and your violent crimes. But nothing extensive. It would be maybe one murder a year. Prior to 2003, to my knowledge, we did not have any bank robberies. As I arrived at the bank, the door was still open and ajar from where they had gone in and cleared the bank looking for anyone to speak with. Upon my entry into the building, to my surprise, there were three individuals, probably in their late 50s, early 60s, found shot to death. I was completely caught off guard due to the fact that normally in this line of work, we have been radioed or, or dispatched to a call to know that you're going to a overdose or a suicide or a homicide. So you're, you're mentally have prepared yourself en route to know that that's something that you're probably going to see. I was not advised of that early enough, so it was, it was really a surprise to me to know that that's what we had just walked into. The three bodies are in a break room, which is down a hallway toward the back of the bank. Each victim has been shot to death. My first thoughts was, what a senseless act. These were three individuals that were as innocent as children. 
They would not put up a fight. If somebody just wanted money, they would have gave it willingly. I would like to believe that most bank robberies don't end with people being harmed unless they try to fight the offender or you've got a security guard, for example, that fires first or, you know, there's another threat that would entail the offender to have to use force. I can tell you my mom would have done anything that person or persons had wanted her to do. I have no doubt about that. And so something went wrong. I don't know what went wrong. I wish I had the answer to that. But something happened in there. All they had to do was get the money and leave. They didn't have to kill those three people, and they definitely didn't have to execute them. Two of the victims are an older married couple, Eb and Maggie Barnes, from the nearby town of Spartanburg. Eb was a 60-year-old physics professor at the University of South Carolina. His wife, 58-year-old Maggie, worked with nonprofit groups. Both were active members of their church and devoted parents of three children. Detective Arterburn learns that the other victim is Sylvia Holtzclaw, someone he knows personally. Majority of the people that were on scene that day at the bank knew mom personally. So majority of them knew my brother because he worked at the fire department and still works at the fire department. She was born and raised in Greer and never left Greer. She was very big personality, just an unbelievable amount of friends. She always had a smile on her face, and she was just one of those types of people that people just wanted to be around. She just enjoyed conversation and getting to know people and hearing about their kids and what was going on in their life. And that's why I think a lot of people kind of gravitated toward her, especially in the banking business. Sylvia had nearly 20 years' experience in the banking world and was known as someone you could always depend on to be friendly with customers and diligent in her work. When the Blue Ridge Savings Bank opened a new branch in Greer, Sylvia was quickly hired as the head teller. The opportunity came through a friend of hers at the bank about a new bank coming to Greer, and they were looking for a head teller. And so mom applied. She got the job. It was mostly a savings and and mortgage type of bank. It wasn't a bank that you went to every day and you had a checking account there. It was a much smaller type of bank the way you went to get a mortgage or open up a CD or that type of thing. The bank opened in 2002 in a large trailer outside the town of Greer. It sat down at the end of a frontage road off of a major interstate, Interstate 85. And it was the last building on the frontage road. So the road ended at the bank. I will tell you, she and I rode down there when they were putting the bank in location because it was a trailer. I was not happy about it. She knew I wasn't happy about the location just because it was at the end of a dead-end frontage road. One thing that her friends told me that she really had a concern about and didn't like about that is that there would be a good amount of time that she would be left alone. It was a small branch. There were really only three to four people at the branch. So a lot of times, if the two loan officers had to be out of the office doing their job, then she would be there by herself. She would not share that information with me or my brother because I think she knew we would not like it and we would not want her doing that. But she is my mom. She's a grown woman and she made that decision. But 
I definitely never thought that, you know, she would be left alone there because no one should ever be left alone inside of a bank, regardless if it's in a downtown major city or if it's at the dead end of a fronted road. It's one of the things that I continue to circle in my mind. Shopping can be a lot of fun, right? But you know what else is fun? Saving money. And Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores, so why not be saving while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Shop brands like Macy's, Blue Mercury, Petco, Nike, Urban Outfitters, Neiman Marcus, and so much more. Here's how it works. The stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the commission with its members. You get paid via check or PayPal quarterly. Maximize your savings by stacking cash back on top of other deals like store sales and coupons. Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Why not join them? Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app and start saving today. Your cashback really adds up with Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone in any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Confronted with a triple homicide, investigators turn the small bank upside down looking for clues. Money has been taken from the cash drawer, but the bank's normal cash reserves are minimal. There are some things that we have not released to the public, some of that being the denominations or the amount of money that was actually taken. These things would be something only the killer or a witness would have been in there to be able to identify upon a uh, interview with law enforcement, but there's items that we would only keep to ourselves as well because it would be the opportunity to know that we are speaking with someone who had firsthand knowledge of the crime. When Detective Arterburn goes to review the bank's security camera tapes, he hopes to see exactly how many perpetrators were involved in the robbery and how events unfolded that afternoon. The bank was operating on a, a system of a monitor and a VHS recording device The device was seized and examined by us, but there was no tape found within the device upon the processing. Now, that leads us to believe that either a tape was not put in that day or a tape was taken from the device itself thereafter the killings or before the killings. But we cannot say 100% because we do not have that information. So we have no internal video captures of of anything that took place in that bank that day. My mom was extremely safety conscious. 
I actually found out that she had a book of procedures that she had wrote and kept notes with opening and closing the bank. She was responsible for making sure tape for the cameras was up to date and everything that needed to be done from that side. 100% confidence in that. No question about it. If Sylvia loaded the tape that day, as she did every day, that means the killer or killers removed it before making their escape. It's now up to detectives to stitch together a timeline of that deadly afternoon without the help of interior security footage. On that Friday night, they didn't really ask us really any questions that night, but the police chief asked me if I would come in the next day and talk with them, and I did, obviously because I had been there not long before the bank robbery and murder happened. And so we put together a very, very, very detailed timeline. We started Wednesday night and pretty much went all the way through till I found out what happened. Ten minutes before 1 p.m., when David arrived at the bank to bring his mother a sandwich, she was alone at that point, and no customers arrived while he was there. Soon after David left, a regular customer came in for a routine wire transfer and says he was in the bank for only about 10 minutes. When he left, Sylvia was now alone again in the bank. At this point, only Sylvia's vehicle would have been in the parking lot. At 1.30 p.m., the secret cash drawer alarm was tripped. A silent alarm was activated, identified as a bill trap alarm that was located within the register itself when money or bait money would have been pulled from that trap to activate a silent alarm notifying security company. So our police department dispatchers made a call to the bank to check on to see if there had been a activation or if it was by mistake or basically just getting whatever information might be needed. And upon that call, the phone was answered, but then disconnected. They tried several more times and did not receive it, any type of communication as it almost came in as a disconnected line or a deadline when they would call back. Investigators don't know if the robbery was in progress when Ebb and Maggie Barnes arrived at the bank. They parked their vehicle behind the building, and it's possible the robber or robbers didn't know they were there. Or did Ebb and Maggie Barnes walk in and catch the intruder in the act? As the teller, Miss Holt's claw, and Ebb and Maggie Barnes were, I assume at gunpoint, were led down through the bank itself to a back area of the bank. And as, as they gradually went down that hallway, there was a device on the wall that would be reflection of most security devices, and it was blinking bill trap, bill trap. In the break room, the killer shoots each of the victims with a 40 caliber Glock pistol. Detective Arterburn doesn't know if the plan was to kill all witnesses to the robbery or if the shooter panicked after seeing the flashing alarm. But one thing he does believe is that the location was carefully staked out ahead of time. I don't think they just pulled off the interstate and said, let's rob this bank. They were probably watching that bank from somewhere where they could tell, hey, look, now's my opportunity. There's not another car there. My assumption in this investigation is that either A, that Evan Maggie Barnes had already entered the bank or B, that the perpetrator had already been in the bank and then they entered just after him. It doesn't really change the scenario, but 
it, it kind of does. If he was predicting there'd just be one person, now he's got to deal with three. I'm on the fence if they really had in their mind that they were just going to kill whoever was in there or if they were going to leave them and flee. But I fully believe in their heart that they were just going to do whatever means it took to get it done. And they did. I've never met anyone that's that's killed three people. Uh, and I, I don't know what is the mindset to do such. It's senseless. It's horrific. I just, I have no words for, for someone that would, that would act in such a manner. The three victims were likely killed a few minutes after the silent alarm was triggered as police were rushing to the scene. In that short window of time, it went from a quiet day at the bank to the worst slaying in the history of Greer. After not making contact with anybody in the bank, our dispatcher then dispatched patrol officers to the location. The officers arrived on the scene probably about 15 to 17 minutes later. And upon their arrival, they had located two vehicles within the parking lot, one being a white in color. I believe it was a Pontiac belonging to Sylvia Holsclaw. And then there was a Ford Ranger pickup truck that was registered to Ebb and Maggie Barnes that was located as well on the premise. There's no sign of the killer or killers who are long gone by 1.47 p.m. With no interior security footage from the bank, investigators contact nearby businesses, hoping they have recordings of the area. And they get lucky. A nearby gas station camera is pointed to the frontage road that leads directly to the Blue Ridge Savings Bank at the time of the robbery. We have a day's worth of video, and it's been examined over and over and over and slowed down and sped up. We've had attempts at trying to buff and clean the video, but due to the angle of the camera, the one that actually points kind of toward the frontage road is the worst quality that you could possibly have for cleaning up the the video. And, And it's very difficult to work with what we have. But upon reviewing these tapes, we were able to backtrack to the time that we knew David Holtzclaw had taken his mom lunch. We also knew that the barns, we knew what they drove as their vehicle was located at the bank. So we were able to backtrack that video and see what times and what vehicles were traveling down either behind them or before them. Investigators scour the tapes, looking for cars that may have been casing the bank. While reviewing the videotapes, this red vehicle sped by rather quickly in a blur down French Road. I don't put a lot of stock into believing that that is indeed the car, but it very well could be. I would need to see it physically in front of the bank for me to to say 100% that that was the vehicle that was involved. But we do know that that vehicle was spotted on an interstate exit ramp prior to our bank robbery. And we also do know that there was a red blur that is consistent with time frames prior to the bank robbery, as well as after that travels not only to, but away from the bank on that day in question. The video shows the red car passing multiple times through the area, which seems to confirm Detective Arterburn's theory that the suspect spent time waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. But the footage is not clear enough to make out a license plate number, so investigators enlist the help of experts from Car and Driver magazine 
to try to determine the make and model of the car. They narrow it down to a red Oldsmobile Alero, and they release the description to the public. We've talked to lots and lots of people. I believe it's, it's well over 2,000 tips and leads that have come in, and lots of different people that were doing bank robberies obviously have been interviewed, and, and even just folks on the street, your locals that have been in trouble for drug charges or whatever, have been interviewed. Anything that would have came in that was information relating to or referencing the bank itself or the robbery. So no real strong persons of interest have really become established except for an individual by the name of Emerson Wright. Emerson Wright was identified as an individual who had coincidentally stolen a red Oldsmobile Alero several days earlier from the Columbia Airport. His criminal history is awful thick. He's done robberies, he's done violent crimes, drugs, just a buffet of things that he's been doing his entire life. With that being said, his information with the theft of that Oldsmobile Alero and the Oldsmobile Alero being identified off of the interstate exit ramp here in Greer, he became a, uh, a decent person of interest that we needed to talk to. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Emerson Wright was pulled over, I believe, by Georgia State Patrol after like a, a car chase or something, and he took his own life with a handgun there upon that traffic stop. So he was never interviewed in relation to the Blue Ridge Savings Bank murders. I would like to think he still would have been someone we would have enjoyed talking to to gain some information, to find out where he was that day or rule him in or rule him out. If he did have something to do with it, I would like to think that he uh, would have bragged to some of his friends or some of his other folks that he was out doing these crimes with for the majority of his life. The handgun that Emerson Wright used to take his own life does not match the gun used in the murders at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank. Though Emerson Wright is a viable suspect, no evidence has ever been found to link him to the crimes, and no other solid leads have emerged. We're waiting on that one piece of evidence, I guess, that lingers out there, which is maybe someone knows, has been told by the killer what exactly happened that day and, and what they took and what they used to kill him and things that only the killer would know why this had to happen the way it happened. After 17 years, the murders of Sylvia Holtzclaw and Eben Maggie Barnes still haunt Detective Dale Arterburn. I just can't even imagine losing a parent to a murder. I've known Kevin for 25 years, and I've gotten to know David very well over the last 18. And I know that their mother's memory means everything to them. I take it personally when there's a loss of life that was taken by another. It's been difficult for me to live with it day in and day out. It is still just as fresh in my mind as the day that, that I went out there. And to this day, I can still, unfortunately, be at PTSD or, or what it may be properly identified as. I, to this day, I can still smell the potpourri that was in the bathroom of that bank that day. If, if I'm out shopping with my family and I, I catch a whiff of it, it, it will trigger that and I, it'll take me back. I'll never forget that scene as, as long as I live. I do believe there's someone out there that does have information that 
could help clear this investigation. And we would appreciate being able to give closure, not only to the family, but to the community. The murder of Sylvia Holtzclaw was a devastating blow, not only to her children, but also to the community of Greer, where she could always be found cheering on the high school sports team, collecting donations at church, or organizing the Cops for Tots toy drive during the Christmas holidays. And the deaths of Ebb and Maggie Barnes has been an incredible loss for their children and their community. The Barnes family, from what I understand, was a terrific couple. Unfortunately, I never got the chance to meet them, Ebb and Maggie Barnes. They were from Spartanburg, which was not far from the bank. But we've been fortunate enough to, to meet all three of their kids and just really hate that they're going through what they are going through. Yes, we lost our mom, but they lost both of their parents on that day. And I can't imagine what they go through. And so Kevin and I will obviously have a bond with them that nobody will ever be to take away. But what great people they were. For David Holtzclaw, finding justice for his mother Sylvia, as well as for Eb and Maggie Barnes, has become the central focus of his life. I can't even begin to put into my mind what type of person felt like it was necessary to walk in there on that day when they could have been given anything that they wanted, and yet they make the decision to heinously murder three people. I will never be understanding why someone felt that that day they got to be the one to decide that Sylvia Holtzclaw and Eben Maggie Barnes did not deserve to live. This case, honestly, is what gets me up every morning. And this case is what puts me to bed every night. And I know that might sound really weird to people out there, but it is true. It is my motivation every single day to find some way to reach somebody that has information on this case because this community and my brother and the Barneses, we're not going to stop until we get closure and justice for those three people because they deserve it. And it's my will until the good Lord takes me home or until this case is solved to not stop doing whatever I have to do to get this case solved. In terms of just mom herself, I really tried to sit back and think about the good times and not what her last moments were like because I could not imagine what she and Eben Maggie went through in those last few moments. I just try to hold on to that smile that I saw on her face so often and the joy that she had for life. And so that's what I try to remember more than anything. If you have any information about the Blue Ridge Savings Bank robbery and murders, please contact Detective Arterburn at 864-848-5354. A confidential tip can be left at Greenville Crime Stoppers, 23crime.com, or at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. I was concerned immediately when I heard that she did not make it to her doctor's appointment. And so I immediately made a missing persons report because she didn't go to where she had planned to. So I knew that that impulsive behavior had to mean that things were not going well. 
Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lenick, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimson, and Paul Yates. The story producer for this episode was Molly Ryan, and it was edited by Ryan Dan. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of Unsolved Mysteries.